Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 2 Peter chapter 3, the book of 2 Peter chapter 3. We continue our study through the New Testament. Now, Peter, he's giving his farewell discourse here to the saints. It's the perilous times of 67 AD, where you remember 1 Peter, we look at the perilous times of 64 AD, and three years later, even more perilous, the cost of being a Christian is very heavy in 67 AD. And what's happening, he's about ready to die. Where Remember our study in chapter 1, where he must put off his tent? What the Lord revealed to him, what the Lord told him, he must put off his tent. And in our studies in Second Peter so far, when we, if we were to, you know, break down the chapters of Second Peter, where we see in chapter one how Peter calls for diligence and steadfastness of the saints, and he also speaks of his credence and those who are qualified as pastors, teachers, and elders. And then we look at chapter two, where, you know, you see the false teachers, the warning that brother Peter gives us against the false teachers, false prophets, and their poison that they spew. And now we get into chapter three, where Peter teaches us about the day of the Lord. And if we boil things down a little bit where, you know, chapter one could be considered as chapter one, us, chapter two, them, the false teachers. And then chapter three, Jesus. Understand there's a reason why we walk the Christian walk. There's a reason why we walk in the manner in which we walk. And when the formula in us, in you and in me, when that formula is right, according to scripture, there is effectuation of promise. And more sure, more certain than the very earth that we presently stand on are the promises of God. And what does Paul say? Remember our studies in Paul's letters to the saints? Now, before we begin our study, before we start our study in 2 Peter chapter 3, turn with me really quick, really quick, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Brother Paul says this in verse 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that There is no resurrection of the dead. Now, this is a pretty bold statement and a hard-hitting question asked by Brother Paul. Hard-hitting because of the implications of the theory. There were Christians, there were saints who thought that there was no resurrection. And this is what Paul was asking them about. How do some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? And so... You know, from Paul's position, he says, okay, let's follow that logic. Let's let's follow that train of theory and let's follow this logic of the theory if there is no resurrection of the dead, since that's what saints believed. And in verse 13, he says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Now, remember, Paul, what he's doing, he's simply following their logic, following the logic of a theory that some believers had adopted for themselves. How does this happen? How does this happen that some believers have prescribed themselves to this theory? Now, remember, we're in Corinth. And if you've been walking with us for a while, 
you know what's up with Corinth. Now, in Corinth, they had a whole lot of defunct teachers. Defunct teachers. And so what Paul is doing, he continues with the logic of their theory and saying in verse 14, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. That's hardcore. That's heavy. Empty faith? Empty faith? That's, that's a big deal. And what's happening today is people like to say regarding the resurrection that it's non-essential. And when we say resurrection, we're speaking about the rapture. And people like to say, well, you know, it's not essential. You know, what's essential is how we live, our conduct here on this world. But it's not essential. And Paul says regarding the resurrection, he doesn't say that it's not essential. And yet today, people, you know, I'm not concerned about the resurrection, whether it will happen or not, or when it will happen. It's not essential doctrine. That's what they say. It's being said today. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. Paul is talking about Christ's resurrection. Absolutely. But let's not forget verse 13. Let's not forget verse 13, where Paul says, if there is no resurrection, then Christ is not risen. If there is no resurrection. And this is what Christian Christians at the time, they believe this. Remember, they were under, this is post chapter five. They were under, under the defunct leaders, defunct pastors, defunct elders. And if there is no resurrection, and if Christ is not, not risen, there are implications for the saints. There are implications for you and me. And so remember verse 12, Paul says, how, how is this possible? Don't forget the Corinthian saints. They had pastors, all right. They had elders, all right. They had teachers, all right. But what they lacked was formula in those leaders. You see, Paul warns them. James warns them. Peter warns them. Very important to understand that, you know, these messengers of the Lord, they warn the saints. Even Paul, when he says the things written in the Old Testament are written for our admonition, there's warnings for the saints, but at the same time, at the same time, there's warning against the false teachers. There's warning against the false prophets. Peter just warned us about them last week in our study in 2 Peter chapter 2. As much as you hear us say that leadership matters, let's boil it down further. Who you choose as pastor matters. Who you choose as teacher matters. And in the case of Corinth, it reached a point where their faith was empty. Their faith was empty. And this very reality, this very fact, makes the resurrection essential, essential. If you prescribe to the idea that the resurrection or the rapture is non-essential, get that out of your head. It is essential. The resurrection is essential. 
A lot of times people today like say, well, it's a non-essential doctrine. No, 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 no. It is not a non-essential doctrine. It is 100% essential. And I'm so in love with Chloe. Chloe of Corinth. I'm so in love with her. You know why? And, you know, not just Chloe, but the saints who met in her home. Because Paul entered Corinth. Remember when we, when, when we, if you've been walking with us for a while, you know, we, we, we start our study in, in 1 Corinthians, but then we, we go back to the book of Acts and see the birth of the church. And Paul entered town. Paul entered Corinth. And people believed in Jesus by the things he spoke of. And praise be to the Lord. But three years later, what happened? What happened in Corinth? Where some, to get to the point of them having empty faith and some do not. What happened? The same word went forth. They had their pastors. They had their elders. They had their teachers. You see? And for some, they have empty faith. But look at beautiful Chloe and the saints that met in her home. They did not. You see? Remember our study in the book of Judges where, you know, in the book of Judges, they have their priests all right. They have their the Levitical priesthood. They got the priests all right. They have their Levites all right. But what happened? You see? And in Corinth, they had their pastors. They had their elders. But look what happened. Look what under the leadership of the defunct, it got them empty faith. And then there's the, the beautiful fellowship in Chloe's home where it is safe. Most likely a fellowship of women. If you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our study through 1 Corinthians. You'll understand a whole lot more. And then not just 1 Corinthians, but 1 Corinthians all the way to 2 Peter chapter 3. And you'll understand a whole lot more. It's very, very important to remember that when we look at, you know, this in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 15, it's very important to remember that this is chapter 15. The separation from the leaven has already happened. And this is, Paul is writing, he's speaking to the remnant. To the remnant. And with this remnant, there is a doctrinal detox that needs to happen. And that's what Paul is doing here to the remnant of Corinth. Now, remember, following their logic of the theory that they have prescribed themselves to that there is no resurrection, Paul continues. He says in verse 15, he says, yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. Very important to note that he says, if in fact the dead do not rise. Remember, Paul is simply following their logic, the logic of their theory. And Paul is showing them that that theory, when you follow that logic, it presents shocking, shocking, shocking realities, proving that their held theory does not fit the scriptures. And in verse 16, Paul continues he says, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not, not risen, your faith is futile. Futile, he says. You are still in your sins. You see, that's a big deal. This is heavy. Oh, but it's not essential, people today like to say. Listen, if this is you, 
If this is you, that's very dangerous ground to be on. The resurrection, it is essential. Do not consider it a non-essential. It is entirely essential. You say, wait a second. I only say it's non-essential because my pastor says it's non-essential. Okay, get a new pastor. Get a new teacher. Because the resurrection is absolutely essential. And Paul continues. He says in verse 18, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That's remember, that's if remember Paul is following their logic. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And then also in verse 18, those who have fallen asleep in Christ or those who have died have perished. It's done. It's done. And then in verse 19, he says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, if it's for the here and now and the here and now only, if that's our only hope, Paul says of himself, he says, we are of all men the most pitiable. That's what Paul says. Following this misguided theory that the remnant of Corinth have prescribed themselves to, hope is gone. Hope is gone. And Paul, following this logic of their theory, Paul is showing them that there are major implications when we follow that theory. But then at the same time, there's that detox that has to happen. Doctrinal detox where under the influence of the defunct pastors and the defunct elders and the defunct teachers of Corinth, there's a doctrinal detox that needs to happen. And that's what Paul is doing here, showing them just following the logic of theory. And then all of a sudden, what Paul does, he destroys that theory. And in verse 20, he says, but now Christ is risen from the dead. And has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, speaking of Adam, by man came death, by man, speaking of Jesus, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits. The first fruits. Afterward, those who are Christ's at his coming. At his coming. This is the resurrection of the saints. It is no small thing. Just as the tomb of Christ was empty, so too shall ours be. For the last day's saint, understand, there is a remnant. In all generations, there is a remnant. Remember our study in, in Judges where the Lord became forgotten? Well, who didn't forget the Lord? A remnant. You see? In the early church, look how in, we'll say, 33 AD, 34, 35 AD, how the church was blowing up. Brother Peter would teach and thousands would come to Christ. But then 64, 65 AD, Christians started leaving sound doctrine. You see, there is a remnant. 
And even today, there is still a remnant. And of the remnant that will not experience death because they'll be alive at our Lord's coming, at our Lord's return. This is called the resurrection or the rapture. I mean, there is a resurrection, but understand, you know, those who are asleep will be risen. But then there is a generation that will not see death because they're going to be alive when Jesus returns. And that's called the rapture, the resurrection. See, people like to say the rapture of the church, the rapture of the church, the rapture of the church. And in a very specific sense, very specific, it's true. Because it's the rapture of the saints. And these saints are a remnant because they have a very, very, very specific formula. And just so you know, before we continue in this study, just so you know, if you don't know already, we do not teach a pre-tribulation rapture. We do not teach it. It's in the movies. It's in the books. It's in shows. It's in seminaries. It's in Bible colleges. It's everywhere. It's everywhere except the most important place. It's not in the Bible. You see, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23, Paul says, our resurrection is at is coming, the return of Jesus. Brother John also speaks on this. Turn with me really quick to Revelation 20. Revelation 20. Revelation 20. And Brother John, he speaks of his vision given to him by our Lord. And in Revelation 20, verse 4, Brother John, he reveals his vision. He says, I saw thrones. I saw thrones, he says, and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had be been beheaded. Those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. This is the mark of the beast. And John in his vision is saying, I saw those who had been beheaded and had not taken the mark of the beast. You see, in his vision, he sees these beautiful saints who rejected the mark of the beast and their earth suits were decapitated. Brother John sees their souls. You see, now the mark of the beast, the mark of the beast is not implemented before the 70th week of Daniel. Remember, 70 weeks are decreed. Remember the prophecies from Daniel chapter 9? 70 weeks are decreed. The mark of the beast is not implemented before the 70th week of Daniel. It's implemented around the world during the 70th week of Daniel. The final seven years of world history of the world, final seven years of the world as we presently know it. And Brother John continues about the souls of these beautiful saints. He says, And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years, but the rest of the dead did not live until the thousand years were finished. This, he says, this is the first resurrection. 
This is the first resurrection, he says. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. It's a big deal. Do you notice what's happening? Do you see what's, what's happening here? Brother Paul, what we read in 1 Corinthians, Brother Paul, he says the resurrection is at the return of Jesus. Brother John, here in Revelation 20, he says the first resurrection not a second, not a third. The first resurrection, he says, includes those who rejected the mark of the beast and who have not been beheaded. And this is an event that happened dur that, that happens during the 70th week, not before the 70th week, during the 70th week. Now, I have a question. Simple question. How is it possible? How is it possible? That pastors and teachers today say the resurrection is before the 70th week. How? When the first resurrection, as revealed by Brother John, includes those who have been beheaded because they rejected the mark of the beast. That event does not happen prior to the 70th week. It happens during the 70th week. So how is it? That pastors today say the resurrection is before the 70th week. How is it possible that movies and books and seminaries and Bible colleges teach that the resurrection is before the 70th week? How? I'll give you the answer. I'll give you the answer. It's pretty hardcore. They have no love of the truth. They have no love of the truth. You say, whoa, that is hardcore. That's pretty heavy. They have no love of the truth. And as a result, that's a pathway that leads to strong delusion. Some have already entered strong delusion, teaching that apostasy is the rapture. And pastors who say that Michael, the archangel, is really Jesus, and some even say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. You see, these teachers, these leaders, when you follow the logic of the path that they're on and what they teach, it ultimately leads to destruction. You have a pastor that says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Now it's wrapped in other false doctrine. You cannot, you cannot take the mark of the beast. The Bible says you take the mark of the beast, you're going to burn in the lake of fire. That's what the Bible says. And yet you have pastors who say, go ahead and take it. You cannot follow these people. You say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's a little harsh. Destruction. Come on. Come on. Destruction. It's non-essential after all. Number one, the resurrection is not non-essential. Remember, Paul says faith can become empty, what we read in 1 Corinthians 15. But then number two, following the logic of a pre-tribulation rapture theory, we see that it does not align with Scripture. You see? And that happens when there is no love of truth. You see? And not loving the truth it opens the door to delusion. And that's a pathway where delusion 
it gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And that delusion is from the Lord. You see, remember our study on Wednesday where we confusion and delusion. Remember, we mentioned this on our Wednesday study. Very important to understand for these days in which we live, because when delusion reaches that point, when it's strong delusion, it's from the Lord. It's from the Lord. And it's not only strong because the Bible says, remember our, our study in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? It's not only strong because the Bible says that when that happens, truth is withheld from such people to the point where they will believe the lie. That's a big deal. It's a form of God's judgment, which Brother Peter reveals to us begins with the church. God's judgment begins with the church. You see? Now, turn really quick to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Because Brother Paul, he teaches us some more. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15 and Brother Paul says this, inspired of the Spirit of our Lord, he says, For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. Now, let's just pause here for a moment. We've already established from 1 Corinthians 15 and Revelation 20 that this coming of the Lord is the resurrection. Brother John, he does some fine-tuning and says this is the first resurrection. And Paul refers to the the generation that is alive when this happened. And those saints who are alive when this happens, he says that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord in verse 15 will by no means precede those who are asleep. Will by no means precede those who are asleep. Notice the pre-tribulation rapture theory says that the living will precede the dead. That's what they say. The living will precede the dead. Because remember, you know, there's going to be a lot of death and destruction during the 70th week of Daniel. And I don't say that lightly, but it is a biblical reality. There's going to be a lot of death and destruction in the 70th week of Daniel, more so in the last half. A lot more in the last half. And the theory of the pre-tribulation rapture, they say, oh, those are tribulation saints. And, you know, they're going to be under tribulation and some will die, but we'll precede them and be raptured before any of this happens. But remember, Paul says here in verse 15, by word of the Lord, that the living will by no means precede the dead. The living will by no means precede the dead. You see, the pre-tribulation rapture, the theory, says the exact opposite. That the living will precede the dead. When the Bible says the living will by no means precede the dead, by word of the Lord in verse 15. So 
What does the coming of Jesus look like? And Paul continues. He says in verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. This verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. That's the rapture. That's the resurrection. That's the resurrection. Now, even the very theory of pre-tribulation rapture acknowledges this verse as a rapture verse. And it is. Absolutely, it is. What they fail to account for is all the other it is also written. Because this is absolutely a rapture verse. But it does not point to a pre-tribulation rapture. Remember, the Bible says, we who are alive and remain. That's what the Bible says. We who are alive and remain. But you know what that is in the Greek? In the Greek, we who are alive and survive. We who are alive and survive. You see? It's very true that leadership matters. But it is also true that who you choose to follow matters. Because the saints for this generation that Paul is speaking of, the generation that is alive when Jesus returns, the saints are going to be in survival mode. Straight up survival mode. And the generation of 64 AD and 67 AD, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful brother Peter exhorts. These vessels of the Lord, Paul exhorts. John exhorts in a later generation, but you know, we'll get to that when we get to the book of Revelation or John's letters. Very dangerous to be a Christian, but you know, more so in 67 AD. But what brother Peter is doing, he's pointing to a future generation. Brother Paul pointing to a future generation. The generation that is alive when Jesus Christ returns, the return of our Lord. And this is where we begin our study in 2 Peter chapter 3. Brother Peter, he tells us about the return of Jesus. And we who are alive and survive the last day's remnant that is in survival mode. We who are alive and survive. And so we begin our study in 2 Peter chapter 3. This is Peter's last letter to the saints. End of the road for this beautiful, beautiful vessel of our Lord, faithfully serving him to the very end. And I can't wait to meet him. I can't wait to hug him. Turn your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 3. And we begin in verse 1. Beloved, this is Brother Peter, another vessel of the Lord, just like Paul, just like John. And here we are with Brother Peter. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. Remember, he says both of which. But we have 1 Peter, we have 2 Peter. These are letters that we've been studying over the, over the last several weeks. And 
I love how Peter, he's very, very, very effective at reminding us, stirring up pure minds. Now, not to get off topic, but, you know, when it comes to coffee, coffee, you know, the warm drink, I'm a little foo-foo when it comes to coffee. If I'm in a hurry, if I'm in a pinch, I'll drink black. But I like my flavoring, too. And you know how sometimes you have your coffee cup and you you let the cup sit too long and, you know, something happens to the flavor. When you let the cup sit too long, it loses its flavor. You know what you do? You stir it up, you pick it up, you give it a little shake. You stir it up, you take a sip, and boom, we're back in business. The flavor has returned. And how much more with the saints? And that's what beautiful Brother Peter is doing here, stirring up the minds by way of reminder. That's what Peter is doing here. Paul does it. James does it. John does it. It's something that faithful teachers do. And in stirring, there must always, 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 always be alignment to the scriptures. Always. Remember Moses, when he would, he, he would say to the people, you know, remember, 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 don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Joshua would say, you know, remember, hey guys, remember, don't forget. You get to the book of Judges, what happened? They forgot. You see, not everybody, a remnant didn't. But the majority, they forgot. Peter's doing the exact same thing. Remember, remember, you know, by to stir up pure minds by way of reminder. He says this in verse 2, that you may be mindful of the words, or in the Greek, that you remember the words. You see, remember, remember, just like Moses. Remember, remember, just like Joshua. Remember, remember, remember. You get to the book of Judges, the majority, they forget. It's the remnant that remembers. He says that you be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. You see, everything must align. What Peter says aligns to Isaiah, which aligns to Paul, which aligns to Ezekiel, which aligns to John, aligns to Moses, aligns to Matthew, aligns to Jeremiah, aligns to Dr. Luke. You know why? Same Holy Spirit. Same Holy Spirit. Where a pastor today says, you know, hey, let's go, on, let's go to the cemetery. Let's go lay on grave sites and soak up the Holy Spirit. Yeah, he's got the title of a pastor. He's got the pastor parking spot. But you read the Bible, that ain't no pastor. You see, it doesn't align. That's an abomination before the Lord. Necromancy. You cannot choose to submit yourself to the defunct. Do not learn from them. You see, the Bible absolutely says to submit to the pastor because they watch out for your soul. But we cannot forget the many, many, many it is also written. Because the Bible shows us which ones are qualified pastors, qualified teachers, qualified overseers. You see? The Bible shows us which ones are qualified. The Bible shows us which ones are disqualified and defunct and what to look out for. The Bible shows us which are disqualified, which are hirelings, which are apostate, and which are wolves. You see? And beautiful vessel Peter, 
He's stirring the saints by way of reminder, just like I do with my coffee cup. Brother Peter is doing with the saints. You see, by way of reminder. Knowing this first in verse 3, that scoffers will come in the last days. Translates in the Greek as false teachers, mockers, scoffers, those who laugh, scorn, and ridicule. These numbers, understand, these numbers will be many in the last days. Many. And Peter says that there, you know, there will be, uh, uh, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts, their own longings, their own lusts, their own passions, their own desires. Now, already in verse three, we're just in verse three. And already in verse three, we see the person of the scoffer, but we also see the fruit of such a person in their own lusts. Their own lust, which lust has various manifestations. But one thing is clear in all of them. It is not of the Lord. It is ungodly. Behavior that is ungodly. Now we see the person. We see the fruit. But what is it that they say? And in verse 4, Peter says, and saying of these scoffers, where is the promise of his coming? Very interesting. Very interesting what we see here. Where is the promise of his coming? This is what the scoffers are going to say in the last days. And this is something that you have to be very, very watchful of. Because today, today, What's happening with certain pastors of the pre-tribulation rapture theory? What they're doing is they're calling dissenters of their theory, they're calling them scoffers. They say, oh, you don't believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, so you're the scoffer of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. But remember, you must also observe the fruit. You must also observe the fruit. I'll tell you an observation of mine, something that I've noticed through the years. In the camp of the pre-tribulation rapture theory, in that camp, you see the highest degree of straight-up crazy. In that camp, you see the highest degree of crazy. You see the leaven. You see the leaven. You see the sex, the alcohol, the drugs, the CBDs, the ayahuasca, and the magic mushrooms. People say, oh, look, it's natural. God wants us to have this. You see the doctrines that say the mark of the beast is permissible. You see doctrines that say grave soaking is a good thing. You see doctrines that say glitter is the Holy Spirit and that is a good thing. You see perverted pastors with their sexual deviancies. And when you look at the fruit, when you look at the fruit, looking at the fruit, remember, when you look at the fruit, you're able to see something. You might see straight up crazy town or 
you might see still waters and green pastures. You see? And where you see crazy town, you have to avoid it. Understand? I mean, you know, look at the people, but at the same time, look at the fruit. And in the case of the pastor, in the case of the overseers, remember what the Bible says. It's not just the pastor. Now the pastor's home is open to scrutiny. Where you look at the wife, you look at the kids. That is open to scrutiny. And if they can't manage their own household, their own house, how in the world can they do it in the house of God? You see, people say, oh, they're always such a good teacher. He's such a good teacher, but his wife's a crackhead. You see, oh, he's such a good teacher. He's such a good teacher, but he's on his fifth marriage and his previous wives are still alive. They haven't died. You have to look at the fruit. Oh, he's such a good teacher. He's such a good teacher, but his kids are having sex and doing the crystals, the chakras, the Ouija boards. The home of the overseer is open to scrutiny. You see? And where you see disorder, where you see straight up crazy, you have to avoid it. We are in the last days. And not to suggest that, you know, you know it's okay. if we were 50 years ago, then it's okay to do it. No, not to suggest that in any way, shape, or form, but even more so. We had to avoid it. If it was 100 years ago, we had to avoid it. If it was 200 years ago, we had to avoid it. But today, even more so, as we get further in the events of the last days. We have to avoid it. You see? Deception. Deception is going to be on overdrive in the last days. And it's already started. It's going to be on overdrive. And already you see apostasy happening. Saints falling away from the faith. A defection away from truth. And you know what? This is nothing. The degree of deception that we see today, this is nothing. This is a walk in the park. Not even a walk in the walk in the park is too easy. This is skipping through the lily field. That's the level of deception that we're in today. It's like skipping through the lily field. Deception is going to intensify. You see? We have to be wise. Wise as serpents. And at the same time, peaceful as doves. And in the last days, mockers, scoffers, they're going to ask, where is the promise of his coming? But you know what? It's, it's the wrong timing of resurrection that's helping this prophecy to come to pass. The pre-tribulation rapture theory, that theory is helping this prophecy come to pass. Hey, you said that we were going to be raptured. Why are we still here? Where is the promise of his coming? You see what's happening? You see what's happening? And you have Christians today, and I've talked with some of them. I've had conversation with some of them. Suicidal Christians, suicidal. They believe in Jesus. And they're suicidal. Brother, what's wrong? Brother, what's wrong? And they tell me, we're not supposed to be here. We're not supposed to be here. The rapture should have happened. 
And to have conversations with Christians, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart for them, but I want to talk with those pastors. Who in the world? Who in the world is your pastor? A brother in tears, sisters in tears. A brother wanting to commit suicide. Wanting to commit suicide because he had his hope in the pre-tribulation rapture and it, we're not supposed to be here and I'm still here and that is, is everything I believe fake? Is everything I thought about the Bible fake? Because if it is fake, then I have no hope and I want to kill myself. Christians. You see? And to come alongside this brother and say, listen, you were taught wrong. The pastor that you have, the pastor that you have chosen to submit yourself to, He's taught you wrong. You see? The falling away that's going to happen, it's already happened. But even that is going to be on overdrive. Because you're going to have Christians that are, we're not supposed to be here. Christians who've pinned everything on a pre-tribulation rapture. We're not supposed to be here. They're going to see a peace treaty in the Middle East. They're going to see the advancing, the advancement of the Abraham Accords, which leads to further peace in the region. And I'm doing my air quotes, further peace in the region. They're going to see a world gathered together and promote this Abraham Accords 2.0, so to speak. They're going to see the world come together and sign this agreement for regional peace in the Middle East. And they're going to say, wait a second, I'm not supposed to be here. The rapture should have already happened. And then they're going to see, you know, digital identification, digital payment system. They're going to see the mark of the beast system being implemented. The governments around the world have already mandated injections in the body that had implications, major implications on a person's ability to buy and sell. That's already happened. We can't, we can't wonder about that anymore. It's already happened. And it's going to intensify. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. And you have Christians who pin everything on a pre-tribulation rapture. They're going to see, wow, this peace accords, we're not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be here. They're, they're going to see the mark of the beast system. Wow, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be here. Was, was the Bible fake? Was the Bible fake? You know, I believed in Jesus this whole time. And I wasn't supposed to be here. The Bible says I wasn't supposed to be here. The Bible says I wasn't supposed to be here for the peace treaty. The Bible says I wasn't supposed to be here for the mark of the beast. And here I am. Therefore, the Bible is fake. And you know what's going to happen? The falling away. 
That's what they're going to come up with in their mind. And then at the same time, you're going to have people who have heard Christians talk about the, the, the rapture of the church, movies, Hollywood productions, movies that have you know, major productions about the pre-tribulation rapture. And you're going to have these mockers. Hey, Christian, where is the promise of his coming? Look, the, the, the peace treaty, it's here. Oh, look, Mark of the Beast, it's here. Where's the promise of his coming? You see, the pre-tribulation rapture theory will help this prophecy come to pass. The mockers of the last days, the scoffers of the last days. On top of that, there's going to be a defection away from truth, the falling away. Christians who think, wow, the Bible was fake because, you know, the Bible says I wasn't supposed to be here. The Bible says I should have been raptured at this peace treaty before this peace treaty happened. And, you know, Christians are going to wonder and then they're going to see like, wow, Mark of the Beast is here. Okay, now I know for sure that the Bible is fake. And they're going to walk away. You see, the deception we see today, this is nothing. This is not even a walk in the park. This is, I want to say, like skipping through the lily field, but it's not even that. Instead of saying the Bible is fake, you know what's really happening? The pre-tribulation rapture theory is fake. The pre-tribulation rapture theory is the lie. You see? And so these scoffers and mockers, where's the promise of his coming? Notice what they say here. And, you know, it, it, what Peter says here in verse 4, at the end of verse 4, For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Very interesting what we see here. Very interesting. They acknowledge the fathers. They acknowledge creation. You know what that means? The scoffers that Peter is talking about, they're not non-believers. Don't get me wrong. Non-believers will scoff and will continue to scoff. And that scoffing is going to get worse. But Peter is referring to scoffers that are on the inside. They acknowledge the Father, the fathers. They acknowledge creation. And in verse 5, for this, they... Now, remember, we make this line of demarcation. You know, they, this is them. Scoffers that are inside the camp. In the perilous times of 67 AD, when it's very dangerous to be a Christian, picture the scoffers then. Where is Jesus? Where is the promise of his coming? During the perilous time when, you know, 70 AD, the destruction of, 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 of the temple. Very perilous times. The cost of being a Christian was very, very heavy. Now, if you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our study through the introduction of 1 Peter because we identify how dangerous it was to be a Christian. And that was 64 AD. Three years later, here we are in 2 Peter. Three years later, 67 AD, even more so. But for the last day's generation, 
How might the scoffers be amplified for the last day's generation? Making this line of demarcation, speaking about them in verse 5, for this, they willfully forget. Now, this is a big deal. They don't just forget. They want to forget. They don't want to remember. They willfully forget. You see? Paul reveals something else about them. In 2 Timothy chapter 4. Turn really quick to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter four, second Timothy chapter four. Brother Paul reveals in second Timothy chapter four, verse three, also of the last days that Peter speaks of in verse three, he says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, very interesting. That's exactly what Peter says about the scoffers inside they will not endure sound doctrine brother brother paul says but according to their own desires because they have itching ears now notice what we see so far notice what we see they're in their own desires sound doctrine isn't endured and then they have itching ears now a believer in their own carnal desires, lusts and passions? This reveals failure to align to the teachings of Brother James. Remember our study in James chapter 2? And as a result, there is no effectuation of the maturity that the writer of Hebrews 5 and 6 speaks of. Remember our study through Hebrews? And as a result... We see baby believers in arrested development, just like we see in Corinth. Before the separation from leaven, before chapter 5, you see? Now, of this group of them, when Paul says, because they, because they have itching ears, of this group of them... What do you think their ears want to hear? What do you think their ears itch for? You see? Remember, sound doctrine isn't being endured. So what do they do? And Paul reveals, he says, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Notice. Notice what we see. They have teachers, all right. They have pastors, all right. You know what's lacking? Aboda, aboda, mishkan. That's what's lacking. Nothing new under the sun. Now, if you're if you're listening for the first time, you're like, "What did he just say?" Aboda, aboda, mishkan. What is that? Go back and listen to our study through Leviticus. You'll understand more. Do you see what's been covered so far? We're looking at multiple passages. 
And if you've been walking with us for a while, we have the backdrop of what James wrote. We have the backdrop of what Hebrews says, the writer of Hebrews, which I happen to think is, well, well, if you're listening for the first time, go and listen to those studies through Hebrews. You'll understand more. Do you see what's been covered? Nothing new under the sun. Look at our study through the book of Judges. Remember they were going to go to war. Israel was going to go to war. And they say, hey, Levites, tell us, are we going to be victorious? What, is the, the, what does the priest tell them? Eh, choose for yourselves. Oh, the priest says we're going to be victorious. We choose for ourselves. Now we're going to go to war. What happens? Casualties. Wrong formula. You see? Nothing new under the sun. Remember, Paul says the things of old were written for us, for our warning, for our admonition. And so these believers, believers will not endure sound doctrine. They're believers. Remember, inside the camp. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. This is the entryway into apostasy. That's a door that has to be shut. But that door becomes open for many reasons. It's the work of false teachers. It's the work of false prophets. They want that door to be open. You know why? Because they want you to... Get on that pathway that leads to destruction because they serve their father, the devil. That's a door that needs to be shut. You see? A time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And not just, it's like, okay, so they have their teachers. Look at verse four. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. This is what Paul says the last days will look like. And be turned aside to fables. They turn their ears away from the truth. You know how that happens? Remember our study in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? No love of the truth. It's a form of judgment. It's a form of judgment. And because they have no love of truth, you know what's going to happen? They will believe the lie. This is inside the camp. This is what the last days will look like. The entryway into apostasy is going to be heavily populated by the saints. Brother Peter, he says the exact same. Why? Same spirit. The same spirit that's in Paul is the same spirit that's in Peter, is the same spirit that's with John, is the same spirit that's with Dr. Luke, is the same spirit that's with Matthew, is the same spirit that's with Isaiah and Jeremiah. The very things that the Lord put in motion many, many, many moons ago, the things that angels peek into. Remember our studies? Let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, and in verse 5, remember, they willfully forget. They want to forget. 
And in verse 5 in 2 Peter chapter 3, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water, in verse 6, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. And just so you know, just so you know, I'm a young earther. I'm a young earther. I know science says that the earth is 500 billion years old, but let's not forget that science also says that there's 50 genders. Let's not forget. Science says that earth is 500 billion years old, but science also says that there are 50 genders. Let's not forget. You say, wait a second, but it's all been carbon dated. It's all been carbon dated. Now, let me tell you something. You do carbon dating on things from the ocean and you'll see a range of major, major flaws where you take a a little tiny tree, a tree that grows on the earth and, you know, it, it emerges from the soil. And in two years, you take, break off a twig from that tree and toss it in the ocean. Six months later, you know what happens? You do carbon dating on that twig that's two years and six months old. You do carbon dating on that, and the carbon dating will tell you that that's a twig, that that twig is a thousand years old. Major flaws happen. Now, let me tell you something else. I've been personally... I've been in high elevations around the world. I've dug holes in the earth in various high locations around the world. You want to know what I saw with my own eyes? In the earth at high elevation around the world, you know what I found? Seashells. Seashells. Straight up seashells, nowhere near the ocean and straight up seashells. Now, scientists will say, well, that's because, you know, a bird, you know, a million years ago, there was a bird that grabbed a fish and that fish had a shell in its stomach. And that's why you see the seashells that, you know, at these high elevations. That's what science says. But remember, let's not forget, science also says that there's 50 genders. Earth at high elevation. And I'm not talking about one seashell, like, you know, digging a, digging, and you say, oh, here's one little seashell. No, 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 no. I'm talking about far, far, far from the ocean, high up on hilltops and mountaintops, mountainsides. Seashells, the amount of seashells is more than what you see at low tide at sea level. How did this happen? The flood. The flood. And as Peter says, so I say to you, that the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. And Peter continues to reveal, he says in verse 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, the same word, 
are reserved for fire. You see, that ancient earth, that was destroyed by water. The present earth, destroyed by fire. See, a lot of people like to skip over the, the biblical reality of God's judgment. Oh, look, God's not going to judge. God's not going to judge us. God's not going to flood the earth in judgment again. It's very true. He won't. He's going to burn it. He's going to burn it. It's not going to be flooded like before. That was for the ancient generation. But judgment is coming. And it's not going to be my water. It's going to be straight up fire. He's going to burn it. You see, in verse 7, the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And in the Greek says, reserved for fire, for reaching a specific point. And that specific point is the day of judgment. The day of judgment. And the destruction of ungodly men. It's a very sobering reality. I love Brother Peter and his farewell discourse. Very sobering reality. Seventy weeks are decreed, as the prophet Daniel revealed, as revealed to him by the Lord. We're moving closer to this event. Understand, we're moving closer. Every time you wake up in the morning, we are one day closer. You see? Precursory to this event, you have a choice to make. If you're a believer in Jesus, praise be to the Lord. But if you're not, if you're listening, and we've gotten to this point in verse 7 of 2 Peter chapter 3, and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to tell you something. Get inside the ark. Get inside the ark. Jesus Christ. He is the ark of our time. Get inside the ark. And if that's you, and you want to get inside the ark, hit pause and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you do exactly that. You commit your life to Christ. You come back, you listen, and we continue on this journey together on the ark together, you and me. Get inside the ark. People say, oh, you look, the, 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 Noah, you know, oh, that's fairy tales. Noah, that's fairy no. Jesus speaks about Noah. And in the last days, for the last day's generation, he says, it's going to be just like the days of Noah. Picture that, Noah, a preacher of righteousness. Building an ark. Nowhere near the ocean. Nowhere near the ocean, he's building an ark. I mean, when you got like the sticks laid out and it's like the, the, the first day of construction. Okay, you know, you're clearing out some land, you know, gathering some wood. Okay, no big deal. Day one of construction. After a week, maybe some curiosity. People walking by. After a couple months. You can see like, you know, the maybe the base level of the, the hull. Remember, the blueprints were given to Noah. 
by the Lord. Very specific blueprints, just like the very specific blueprints given to Moses. Picture people walking by. Hey, Noah, what's going on? Hey, come party with us, Noah. What are you doing on this for? What is, what is, what's this all about? Oh, I'm building an ark. What? The ocean is way over there, Noah. Here, before you before you get before you get too carried away, you know, like you know, let's let's take it apart and you know, let's let's take it to the ocean, you know. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, the Lord gave me blueprints. Who? The Lord. The Lord told you. Okay, now we know you're just crazy. You see. And Noah, a preacher of righteousness, picture the words that he said to the people. Hey, I'm building an ark. You want to you help me? Hey, I'm building an ark. God told me to. Let me tell you about the Lord. God loves us. God loves you. I'm building an ark. You know you want to come inside with me? People, oh, you're so stupid. The ocean is way over there. You're so stupid, Noah. And your family, they're going to help you? They're stupid too. Come on, let's go party. It's all fun and games. You see? I wonder what it must have been like when that ark was days away from completion. I bet you it was very sad. Very sad. To build the ark when the Lord tells Noah to make this ark. I bet you it was very sad because Noah knew that there's safety in the ark, which is good for him, good for his family, good for the animals. But what about all those people on the outside? I bet you it was very sad, very sobering, very sad for all those people on the outside. And finally, the, the Lord gives instruction. Okay, now it's time to go in the ark. But before the ark here, step aside. Now the animals are going to come in in two by two cover formation. Remember, we serve a Lord of, of order, a God of order. Here the animals come in, up the, you know, in the door, they go inside, and that door was open. And all of a sudden, you know, the family of Noah gets in. Noah goes inside, and the Bible says that it's the Lord that closed the door. It wasn't, you know, Noah didn't go inside and, you know, grab a, a door and pull a big rope and all of a sudden Noah closed the door. No, Noah went inside as instructed by the Lord. And it was the Lord who closed the door. That door was closed. Picture the people. Picture the townspeople outside the ark. Making fun of Noah. And everything's fine and dandy until the rains come. Until the rains start. And the rains start maybe even still cracking jokes like, oh, wow, you know, 
maybe Noah was right, you know, here the ocean is way over there, and wow, maybe Noah was right, and they're laughing, you know, doing their, they're getting drunk and drinking, eating, being merry, oh, maybe Noah was right, ha, 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 ha. Then finally it gets to the point where it's kind of serious. Now the water is waist deep. Maybe Noah was right, and maybe a couple laughs, but now some people aren't laughing anymore. Now the water's chest deep. Very few people are laughing. Now it's neck deep. And now no one's laughing anymore. It's neck deep for the tall person. The short people are starting to die. You see, they can swim. They can swim for, you know, a little bit. But they're going to get tired. Now they're dead. No one is laughing. They don't wonder anymore. Maybe Noah was right. Now they know for sure Noah was right. And sometimes Christians, I shouldn't say sometimes, a lot of times Christians, they get very mad at me. You shouldn't use fear tactics to tell people about God's love. Why not? Number one, it worked wonders for me. God so loved the world that the world should not be condemned, not to condemn the world, but that the world be saved. Don't use fear tactics. Okay. Saved from what? You see? And just as with Noah being saved from the flood in these last days, being saved from the fire. You hear us say, get inside the ark, get inside the ark, get inside the ark. Very important. You have a choice to make. God doesn't make robots. You have a choice to make. Get inside the ark. It's Jesus Christ, the ark of our time. And then to abide in Christ, you and me together abiding in Christ. You want to commit your life to Christ? You hit pause right here, right now. You come back and you listen. You, you hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Christ, you come back, you listen, we grow together. We journey together in this beautiful ark we call Jesus Christ. Son of the Most High God. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You say, well, that sounds like Israel's God. That sounds like the Jewish God. You're right. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You say, well, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't believe in that. There are all these other gods, and there's this God over here. There's Buddha. There's this. There's, there's Mary. You know, there's my crystals. There's my chakras. And I say unto you, remember Egypt. Remember Egypt. The gods of Egypt. Pharaoh was considered God on earth. And they had their gods and those gods did have power. They did have power. The blood came, they could do the blood. You see? 
They had power. They had ability. The hail came. They could not do the hail. The gods of Egypt were not almighty. The almighty is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. You see? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, and who has a son. His name is Jesus, son of the Most High. I don't make the rules. I'm just the messenger. You see? You have your Buddha? Not the most high. You got your crystals? Not the most high. You got your Mary? Not the most high. You see? The Krishna? Not the most high. I'm talking about the most high. I'm just the messenger. But he loves you. He loves you. And he sent his son not to condemn, but that the world through him might be saved. Remember, we make this distinctive line of them and us. Remember when, when Peter is speaking in verse 7 about the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men? It's just like in Noah's days, those who are on the outside, destroyed by the flood, destroyed by water. See? And those outside of Christ, not destroyed by water, destroyed by fire. And we make this distinctive line, them and us, them and us. You say, oh, you sound like an elitist. No, I'm the one who's saying, come inside, come inside. Don't be them. Come inside, come inside. You see? But I can't make that choice for you. You have to make the choice for yourself. Peter, he's speaking to the remnant now in verse 8. He says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. What is time to God? You and me, we have time constraints. The Lord, he doesn't. And I don't want to sound irreverent or be irreverent in any way, shape, or form, and I don't want to sound irreverent, but it does beg the question. What's the holdup? What's the holdup? In verse 9, Brother Peter says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. As some in the Greek translates as consider tardiness. God is not slack concerning his promise as some count tardiness or consider tardiness. So why does God wait? Why? Notice, but is long-suffering toward us. You see, when you consider fallen man, people living without God and the mess that ensues and the ruin and the destruction that follows, and understand that it never had to be that way. It never had to be that way. 
God suffers at that. It hurts. It hurts the very heart of God to see His creation wanting to live without Him. Remember our study in the book of Judges on Wednesdays, our Wednesday studies? They do evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord is there. They do their idols. They worship their idols. The land becomes decayed. They do their deeds. They do their business. They conduct themselves. They conduct their lives. They worship the idols. They make sacrifice and offerings to idols. And the whole time the Lord is witness. He hurts. He suffers. You see? And it's not just to see the idolatry, but to see the aftermath of what happens. The corruption that ensues, the ruin that follows, the destruction that follows as a result of idolatry. That's why he says, you shall have no idols before me. See, don't forget paradise, Eden, paradise was lost. Paradise is gained only through Jesus. He is the only way. Buddha can't take you there. Mary can't take you there. Krishna, crystals, they can't take you there. Jesus, he is the only way. And God is long-suffering toward us. You see? And sometimes I have these conversations with non-believers. You say, oh, the Bible is long-suffering towards us. You see, you Christians, you think you're elitist. You think you're elitist. No, listen, the door is open. The door is open. I'm telling you, hey, the door is open. Come inside. You see? And it's not just God who's suffering. Long-suffering He's been suffering for a long time. Remember, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. He's been suffering for a long time. And the whole time, he sent priests. He sent prophets. He sent apostles. He sends messengers. He sent his son for people to be right with him. For people to have intimacy and oneness with Him. And God is long-suffering. Why? Brother Peter says, reveals by the Spirit of our Lord, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is true that God is long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And when we see the door, the door as presented in scripture being presented to the world, we see something beautiful that God so loves the world that he sent his son, his only begotten son, not to condemn the world, but to save the world that the world through him might be saved. 
You see the blueprints given to Noah? That save, saved the world from water. The blueprints given to us in Holy Scripture. And the Word became flesh. It's to save us from fire. And he sent his son not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The condemnation, that's on the outside. Salvation, that's on the inside. You see, God doesn't make robots. Every single person, I don't care how young you are, I don't care how old you are, every single person has a choice to make. See? Sometimes you hear Christians say, Oh, we didn't choose God. God chose us. It is also written. You twelve I have chosen and one of you is a devil. Jesus was speaking of Judas who fell by transgression, remember? And the door today is presently open. It's not going to be open forever. The door today is open right here, right now. But understand the days, as we get further in the events of the last days, they're going to be more evil and more darker and darker and darker. The days are going to become darker and darker and darker. And at the same time, prophetically, Christians, Christians are going to run out of oil. Lamps are going to go dim. They're going to burn out. They're going to become dark. And it will be more difficult to see the light as we get further into the events of the last days. If you're not a believer, God, he's not slack at all as some count tardiness. He's absolutely long-suffering, yes. But he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. Remember, what not to irreverently ask the question, but the simple question. What's the holdup? You know what the answer is? You. That's how much he loves you. And if you're listening, and you didn't heed my prior call to come to Christ, you hit pause. You hit pause. You listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you do precisely that. Commit your life to Christ. Welcome aboard. You see? You come back, you listen, and we journey together. Now, Brother Peter, regarding the day of the Lord, when the door is officially closed, a future event. Today, it's open. Today, it's open. And praise be to the Lord. It's not open like it was 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. It's still open, but it's not open wide like before. It's almost closed, but it's still open. But regarding the day of the Lord, when that door is officially closed, which is a future, future, future event. Remember the in our study in the book of Judges, death at the door. Remember? She was an adulteress. Yes. She had a priest. Yes. But it never had to be that way. It 
Never had to be that way. And yet, since it was, death was at the door and there was blood in the land. Very interesting. Things of old written for our admonition. Brother Peter continues in verse 10. He says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, he says in verse 10. Now, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 5, 2 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Just like Peter says. Exactly what Peter says, a thief in the night. The day is coming as a thief in the night. Peter says it. Paul says it. John says it. You see? And in the vision given to Brother John, our Lord Jesus says in Revelation, turn to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16. And in Revelation 16, verse 15, the Lord says to John in his vision, he says, behold, I am coming as a thief. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. You see, it's not just belief. Even the demons believe. Remember what Brother James says? Even the demons believe, except they tremble. It's not just belief. Remember what Brother James says, belief is a package deal. Now, if you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our study through the book of James. You'll understand a whole lot more. Belief is a package deal. There is also watching. Jesus says, behold, I am coming as a thief in Revelation 16. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and, and they see his shame. You see? And to watch is to be awake, alert, and on guard, but it doesn't end there. We keep our garments as well. Keep our garments, lest we be naked. We keep our garments, which is the covering of God's word in our lives. Living in obedience unto him as a sweet aroma. And this is a choice. To choose obedience. Or to choose disobedience. Balls in your court. Balls in my court. We have a choice to make. Remember the challenge we posed in Leviticus? To consider your lives as a sweet aroma unto the Lord. You see? And these are things that the Lord sees. The Lord sees. Remember Amos? Brother Amos. The prophet Amos, he says, I'm no prophet nor the son of a prophet. You know what the Lord tells him? Surprise, Amos. You're my guy. You're a prophet. Remember the book of Judges? When the Lord became forgotten, who didn't? Who didn't forget the Lord? Remember Deborah? See, the Lord sees. The Lord knows. 
We have the covering of God's word in our lives. And we choose to be obedient unto him. And what Jesus says here in Revelation 16 is the same, the same thing that Paul speaks of. It's the same thing that Peter speaks of. It's the same time that they speak of when Jesus returns as a thief in the night. You see? Now, according to most pastors, most teachers, most seminaries, most Bible colleges today, they make this impossible because they say the church has been raptured already. Then they formulate different theories, even more false theories, where they say, well, there's two raptures. Well, there's three raptures. Well, there's four raptures. Instead of saying that their very theory is wrong, they formulate even more theories that are wrong. The pre-tribulation rapture theory does not stand against the scriptures. It cannot stand. You see? I know it sounds as a shock because most Christians, you know, they believe they go to church, they listen to their pastors, they watch the TVs, they watch the movies, you know, oh, you know, the left behind here, left behind there, then, you know, left behind, you know, Christians who write notes, they, they write, put, you know, notes in their pockets, they say, you know, like, you know, uh, uh, if you find this pile of clothes, then, you know, I've been raptured. But you can be a tribulation saint. You see, what they do, they, they have these firm beliefs in a theory that is wrong. Propagated by these teachers, by these pastors. You see? You know, these so-called leaders, I'll tell you what we should start seeing in them. And, you know, what we should see even down the road a ways, what we should see is major repenting. Major repenting. Because of the false teaching of a pre-tribulation rapture. Major, major, major repenting. That's what we should see. Where a pastor, you know, said, you know, hey guys, I'm sorry, I thought pre-tribulation rapture and I was wrong. Where, you know, the, the, the peace agreement in the Middle East happens and the pastors, hey guys, you know, I, I know I taught pre-tribulation rapture and, you know, I've repented. I'm right with the Lord now. And now I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you differently because, hey, I was wrong. That's what we should see happening in the church. And it shouldn't be happening already. When you have Christians that want to commit suicide... Because they say, hey, I'm not supposed to be here because I should have been raptured or the rapture should have happened already. I shouldn't be here. And they want to kill themselves because they had such hope in the word of God. And what they thought of the word of God has been proven to be wrong. And now they want to kill themselves. When really what they don't understand is happening is no, the Bible is absolutely true. It's the pastor who was wrong. And because of the pastor, a Christian wants to kill himself. 
Because of a theory, a Christian wants to kill himself? Because of a pastor's wrong teaching, a Christian wants to kill herself? She wants to jump off a bridge? What we should see happening is major, major, major repenting before the Lord of the pastors, of the teachers. But that hasn't happened. There's a pastor I know, fairly large church, probably north of 10,000 people. 10,000. And in preparation for a study through the book of Revelation, he reached out to me. And we had our own private studies. And the summation of our studies and conversation and prayer, he tells me, I get where you're coming from. And you're right. Now, don't get me wrong. This isn't about being right according to the flesh. It's about the preeminence of Jesus and his word in all of our lives. And this pastor tells me, you're right. The Bible does say what you say. Revelation does say what you say. He says, you're right. This isn't about, this isn't like a carnal, this isn't a carnal thing. Like, oh, you know, I won the argument. Ha ha. No, 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 no. The pastor tells me, you're right. But then he says, but I cannot teach that. You see what's happening? See, the pastor made his choice. It's one thing for him to say, I cannot teach that. It's one thing. Making the choice for himself is one thing. But there are believers, there are Christians who submit themselves to him as pastor, as the Bible says to. But these believers cannot discern the qualifications of a pastor. Christians are submitting themselves to the wrong shepherd, the wrong overseer. You see, it's just like the book of Judges. Oh, we got a Levite priest. Yeah, given over to the, the idols of Micah and his mom. Oh, but we got a Levite priest. Yeah, you got a priest, all right. He's given over to the sexual passions, which ultimately led to the murder of his wife. You got a priest, all right. You got a Levite, all right. Wrong formula. You see, nothing new under the sun. I have a message to pastors. I have a message to pastors, to shepherds. Qualified shepherds, qualified pastors. Not run-of-the-mill, not willy-nilly. I'm talking full package. My message to pastors is this. Stand firm in the word. Be immovable. You're going to lose friends. You're going to lose loved ones. You will lose probably a large portion of the congregation People are going to leave you. You're going to lose income. You're going to lose popularity. You're going to lose influence. You may lose some teeth. 
You may lose your life. But what you won't lose is Jesus and a remnant that you faithfully shepherd to him. Brother Peter, in his farewell discourse here in 2 Peter chapter 3, he continues to tell us about the coming day of the Lord. And he says, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Very interesting what we see here. The elements will melt with fervent heat, he says. The In the Greek, stoikion. Stoikion in the Greek. The stoikion will melt and dissolve with fervent heat and burning. You know what Peter is doing here? He's describing a melting at an elemental level. The world and the things in it. Peter, the unlearned one and the illiterate one, as thought of by the religious leaders, the religious establishment. Oh, he's unlearned. He's illiterate. What Peter's doing, he's describing subatomic fission. Melting at an elemental level. Brother Peter, a vessel of the Lord, is describing subatomic fission. That's something that was unknown before Albert Einstein. The best physicists in the world. They didn't know before Albert Einstein. And yet the Lord says to Peter, hey, Peter, write this down. You see? Biblical global warming. Global warming is absolutely real. Absolutely real. This, it's biblical global warming. When the elements will melt in fervent heat. You see? That's absolutely real. In both Testaments, Old and New, Deuteronomy 4 and Hebrews 12, the Lord is a consuming fire. The Lord is a consuming fire. You see? This is biblical global warming. When the elements melt in heat. Subatomic fission. You see? Today, you see world leaders. World leaders, media, academia, science, technology, society, culture. They're attempting to fight what they refer to as global warming. And they have a brand of what they have determined to be global warming. But what they're doing is they are making an attempt to prevent the day of the Lord. That's what they're doing. By their brand of global warming, they're making an attempt to prevent the day of the Lord. Now, what spirit would attempt to do such a thing? Some might call it the zeitgeist. But the Bible calls it 
the spirit of Antichrist. And I say unto you, right here, right now, point blank, come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. The ancient world was destroyed by water and there was an ark. The present world will be destroyed by fire and there is an ark. His name, Jesus, son of the most high God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that door is open today. You see? Why? Because God is long-suffering for you. Because he loves you. You see? And if you're listening and you still, to this very moment, have not committed your life to Jesus Christ, what's stopping you? What's stopping you? The Bible says that light came into the world, but people love darkness more than the light. Listen, don't love darkness more than the light. I've been in the dark. I've tasted and I've seen that the darkness is nasty. And the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I've tasted of the Lord and it is glorious. Come inside. Picture Noah standing at an open door, shouting to the people, Come inside. The hole's done. You know, just putting together, you know, final touches. Door is open. Hey, come inside. Come inside. And the people are shouting out, oh, you're so stupid. Look, it's a bright, sunny day. The ocean's way over there. Why do you want me to come inside? I'm going to go to the bar. I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to go party. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. You're so stupid, Noah. You know, have fun, you and your family. You know, you guys want to be stupid. Okay, have a good time. They love the darkness. Don't be like that. I've tasted of the darkness. It's the pathway that leads to destruction. And the door is not fully open. It's not open like it was 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. It was wide open then. Today, it's just cracked. You see? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Come inside. And if you still haven't Heeded my prior call to come inside. Cut it out. The path you're on is a path that I was on. And it doesn't end well. And I tell you this from with failed suicides in my past. And jail in my past. It doesn't end well. Come inside. Hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. Be saved from fire. Be saved from hellfire, damnation, eternal separation from God. Be saved from that. That's how much God loves you. He gave us his son. But he doesn't make robots. You have a choice to make. 
Hit pause. Listen to the message. How to commit your life to Christ. You come back. You commit your life to Christ. You come back. You listen. We journey together inside the ark. And Peter continues here in verse 11. He says, therefore, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? That's a hardcore question. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? You see, Peter tells us to watch, to anticipate, and to wait eagerly to await eagerly the day of the lord eagerly he says how can this be i mean don't get me wrong fire that's terrifying i mean fire in a fireplace is one thing but fire around all over the world that's terrifying this is something that shadrach meshach and abednego know very well. And here there seems to be a little disconnect. You know, Peter says to look forward to it, but the Old Testament prophets say, don't look forward to it. Peter says, good, the prophets say bad. And scoffers would say, oh, look, there's a contradiction in the Bible. Oh, look, another contradiction in the Bible. Another one, another one, another one. Oh, look at all the contradictions in the Bible. Listen, whenever you hear a person say that, you know what the contradiction is? Them. They're the contradiction. You know why? Because their life does not align to the word of God. So which is true? Peter says, look forward to the day of the Lord. The prophets say, don't look forward to the day of the Lord. I'll give you the answer. Both are right. Both Peter and the prophets are right. How can this be? Old Testament law, the day of the Lord isn't good. New Testament law, the day of the Lord is good. We'll say it another way. The law of Moses, the day of the Lord isn't good. The law of Christ, fulfillment of Moses' law, the day of the Lord is good. You see, the determining factor is you. That's the determining factor. Are you in the law? Day of the Lord isn't a good thing. Are you in Christ, the law's fulfillment? The day of the Lord, we look forward to that. You see? The determining factor is you. Are you outside the ark or are you inside the ark? In verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Verse 14, therefore, beloved, therefore, beloved, in verse 14, looking forward to these things, be diligent. Be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. Remember our studies through Leviticus? Nothing mangy. Remember Leviticus? 
Nothing mangy, nothing mangy, nothing mangy. What about you and me today? Nothing mangy, nothing mangy. Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. In the beginning of this study today, we said that there is a reason why we walk in the manner in which we walk. Where in verse 13, Peter mentions God's promise, and we know about effectuation for promise. But remember what Paul says? And what Paul says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Remember when he said that? Understand, there is a blessed hope. There is a blessed hope. And many, 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 many Christians, most Christians, wrongly point to the blessed hope as a pre-tribulation rapture, but they do so in error. Turn really quick to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, Pastor Paul says to Pastor Titus, he says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Biblically, biblically, the blessed hope does not point to a pre-tribulation resurrection. It points to the return and appearing of our Lord Jesus. An event that happens deep in the 70th week of Daniel toward the end. You see? Christians, they say, oh, the blessed hope is the pre-tribulation rapture. That's wrong. That's wrong. Because Titus chapter 2 verse 13 says the blessed hope and glorious, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see? When he returns, there is a rapture. But it doesn't point to prior to the 70th week of Daniel. It doesn't even point to that as being prior to the 70th week of Daniel. It doesn't point to pre-tribulation at all. And yet pastors and seminaries and movies and books, they've turned it into that. You see? It points to the appearing, the return and appearing of Jesus, our Lord. And that happens well into the 70th week of Daniel. We cannot forget the very next verse in Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Verse 14. That he might redeem us. That he might redeem us. The very next verse in verse 14. Where Brother Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, what we just read in 2 Peter chapter, go back to 2 Peter chapter 3. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, Brother Peter says, Be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot, and blameless. Remember, nothing mangy. This is the same exact thing that Dr. Luke, Dr. Luke says in Luke chapter 18, verse 8, When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? 
when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? You see, when Jesus returns, when Jesus returns, a day that the remnant can look forward to, When Jesus returns, he's going to find a whole lot of mess, a whole lot of ruin, a whole lot of destruction that will burn with fire. But he will also find an exquisitely beautiful remnant, a people who have been faithful to the very end, faithful to him. You see? He's going to find a remnant. And he will receive us. The ones who sleep, he will call them first. That's the biblical sleeping beauty. The biblical sleeping beauty of beautiful remnant. Those who have gone to sleep. And he will call them first. Remember what Brother Paul says. The living will by no means precede those who are asleep. The living will by no means precede those who sleep. And yet the pre-tribulation rapture theory says, oh, the living will precede them. But that's not what the Bible says. The living will by no means precede those who sleep. The biblical sleeping beauty. Jesus will call them first. And then... Those of us who are alive and remain. Or in the Greek, those of us who are alive and survive. Those who are alive and survive. Remember, it's going to be perilous times. Perilous times, it's already started, but it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And it's going to be, it's going to reach the point where both Jews and Christians will be in the crosshairs of the Antichrist. When Satan finds his host. And it will be given to him to prevail against the saints. You see? And those saints, that remnant, those who are alive and survive, will resurrect and meet the resurrected sleeping beauty in the air. She's not sleeping anymore. And together, we will forever be with our Lord. That's what the Bible says. And Christians today, they're like, oh, the Lord protected Daniel from the lions. Why do you say perilous times? Why do you say there that, 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 that there's going to be death and destruction? The Lord protected Daniel from the lions, so he'll protect me. It is true that the Lord protected Daniel. But don't forget, lions also ate early Christians. They also ate them, tore at their flesh, ripped arms off, ripped legs off. Don't forget the lions, they also ate Christians. It's a very narrow road. Not even a road, a very narrow path. Seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Seven churches. 
Only two are told not to repent. Why? They have good pastors, good shepherds, good teachers, good overseers, good ministry leaders. But there's only one that has a special safety, and that's Philadelphia. Smyrna and Philadelphia, they're not told to repent because they're in good standing with the Lord. All the others, they're told to repent. You see? The path of Philadelphia, that's very narrow. I want to say something to my brothers and sisters who presently believe, who today woke up this morning presently believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Listen, I love you, but I'm going to say it point blank. You're wrong. Straight up, you're wrong. Now, because you're wrong in believing in a pre-tribulation rapture, your present error What it does is it opens the door for future error and future possibilities as a result of those errors. And that's a door that we need to close because that door brings as a result of error. That's a door that has to be closed. But because it's open, I met today Christians, and I've had these conversations. They want to kill themselves. Because everything that they've thought in the Bible, they say, I'm not supposed to be here. Look, the world is turning bad. The world is going sour. And I'm not supposed to be here. I was supposed to be raptured. And everything I believed in the Bible was pre-tribulation. And I'm not supposed to be here. And therefore, if the Bible is fake, then I have no hope. And I'm just going to blow my brains out. But to say, no, brother, no, sister. You were taught wrong. Who's your pastor? Point him out to me. Who is your pastor? Because he taught you wrong. The Bible is absolutely true. What isn't true is the theory called pre-tribulation rapture. You see? And if you're stuck currently... You find yourself in a church that is pre-tribulation. Whoever your pastor is, you have a choice to make. But based on doctrine alone, your pastor has been placed in the balance and found wanting. If he teaches pre-tribulation rapture, he's teaching you an error that brings the possibility of you falling away. And that, it further brings the possibility of you being burned in fervent heat where the world and the works in it will burn. You see, there's only one way that leads to life. One way. And that's a way that has a very specific formula. I've been called satanic by pre-tribulation rapture people. I call them my brothers. I call them my sisters. They call me, you know, 
satanic. <laughs> and all I say is show me. You believe in pre-tribulation rapture? Show me. And sometimes they send their pastors to me. Show me. Oh man of God, show me. Show me where the pre-tribulation rapture. Show me because if you're right, I want to be right with the Lord. Show me so that I can repent and get right with the Lord. Show me, pastor. Show me in the Bible where the pre-tribulation rapture is true because I'm desperate. I want to be right with the Lord. You know what? They cannot. Every single one of them cannot. You see? Pre-tribulation rapture. I call them my brothers. I call them my sisters. They call me satanic, but you know, hey, that's their choice. But show me in the Bible. You won't find it. You'll find a rapture. You'll find the resurrection. Absolutely. You'll find blessed hope. Absolutely. We, we looked at the blessed hope. There's promise of blessed hope. But it is not pre-tribulation rapture. It is not in a resurrection that happens before the 70th week of Daniel. You see? One way leads to life. Very specific formula. Very easy, but very intricate. And if your pastor teaches pre-tribulation rapture from your present pastor, from your present teacher, walk away. This is no small thing. Because what has happened? A door is open to straight up fire. Not by your action per se, but by the doctrine they teach. It is no small thing. What shepherd of Jesus would want this? What shepherd of the Lord would want this? You see, walk away. But before walking away, bring the remnant with you. Part of me wants to say, find a church, but you probably won't find one. Start a home fellowship. Prophetically speaking, prophetically speaking, God's judgment is coming to the world, but it begins in the church. You see, and you leaving error and bring the remnant with you. It's a movement to safety and those with you. Turn really quick to first Thessalonians chapter five, really quick. First Thessalonians chapter five. Brother Paul, he also speaks about the day of the Lord in first Thessalonians chapter five, verse four. He says this, but you brethren are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep. Let us not sleep as others do, he says, but let us watch and be sober. Let us watch and be sober for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us, let us who are of the day, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation.
For God did not appoint us to wrath. God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. That whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. You see, our Lord will return as a thief. And it is only the faithful remnant that will not be overtaken. It is only the faithful remnant that is not appointed to God's wrath. Just like judges. Remember our study in the book of Judges? Just like judges. When the Lord became forgotten, who remembered? When everyone worshipped idols, who didn't? The remnant. You see? With Peter, he describes the day of the Lord, and it's pretty hardcore. The elements melting and burning in fervent heat, and he says to look forward to it? Burning in fervent heat, he says to look forward to it? Listen, as a faithful messenger, he gives us the recipe. Yes, looking forward to these things, but to be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless Nothing mangy. Nothing mangy. Let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. And in verse 15. And consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. You see, these faithful messengers, Peter, Paul, John, James, these faithful messengers, what would happen is that they would write a letter. And the letters would go to the churches, you know, just like when Paul wrote to, you know, the, the Corinthian church. And they would write the letter. But what happened is that the letter would be duplicated and distributed. You know, they'd had like scribes in the church where, you know, someone would come and read and read, you know, the, the, someone would come into the church. Hey, we got a letter from, we got a letter from Paul. And then, you know, whoever could read, they would read. And then, you know, at then at the same time, once the letter was done being read, they would have scribes inside the church, you know, a brother or sister in the church, and they would copy the letter. And then they would have runners and those letters would be distributed all throughout different churches, different home fellowships and churches. They would be distributed. They would be duplicated and distributed. And captured in the canon of scripture, understand that these letters, they're still read today. But just as before, just as in the early church, they also must be understood. And Brother Peter, he points to this when he says, Our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. But then he says in verse 16, as also in all his epistles, remember, Peter is speaking of Paul, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You see? In the ways of Adam, you have unlearned Peter, as the so-called religious establishment called him. He wasn't formally educated. 
They said, oh, he's illiterate. Remember the religious leaders? Oh, Peter, he's just illiterate. He didn't go to higher education, higher academia like we did. We're smart. And here you have Peter. And Peter is the one who's pointing to them that they're the ones who are untaught. They're the ones who are unstable. Remember, Peter walked with Jesus. Full package. He's qualified. And it's them that twist the scriptures to their own destruction. You see? And if a, if a so-called pastor today, if a so-called pastor, if he chooses to dive headfirst into the flames, he made his choice. But you have to make yours too. Do not follow them in the ways of destruction. Do not follow them. We are living in the last days. And not to suggest that, you know, you could follow them if it were like, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, even 500 years ago, that it was safe to follow them. No. Even more so in these last days when deception is going to be on overdrive. You cannot follow these people. They want to dive into the fire? Okay, they made their choice. Don't do likewise. The Bible teaches us to submit to the pastor. But the Bible also teaches us about the qualifications of the pastor. Men. Coverings always male. Who watch out for your soul. As those who, not might, those who must give an account. That's why Brother James says, let not many be teachers. Not a lot of people heeding the Bible these days. Why? Because we have so-called pastors and teachers everywhere, on every street corner. And I mean to say street corner on purpose. You cannot follow. Where you find error, you cannot follow. Be a Berean. Understand the scriptures. Understand formula. Formula for yourself. Formula in fellowship. Always accounting for babies. And formula of the shepherds. So that you can know, it is safe to submit myself to this man. He's teaching me in the ways of righteousness. He's training. He's equipping. You see? And in the fellowship, when the formula is right, it is safe to bear one another's burdens. You see? No leaven. We are living in the last days. We have to be right before the Lord. Every single one of us, myself included. We have to be right before the Lord. Just like a bride. You know a bride on her wedding day? You know, they plan out weddings so far in advance. You know? And they get uh, like the, the prep. You know, she's doing all these things for beautification. Preparation for the wedding day. How much more the bride of Christ. Preparation for our bridegroom. For the return of our king. Preparations. The beautification process. And I don't like saying process. But. I don't have a lot of words in my vocabulary. You see. Brother Peter. Brother John. Brother James. 
They give us the recipe. They give us the formula. All these vessels of the Lord throughout the ages, the prophets included, they give us the recipe. They give us the formula. They teach us all about formula so that we know. In closing, Peter, in his farewell letter to the saints, before he is killed for the name of Jesus, he tells us in verse 17, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. A commonly held belief. It is unbiblical. It's unbiblical, straight up. If it were true, verse 17 would be impossible. Because according to once saved, always saved, a believer couldn't fall away. If once saved, always saved were true, the apostasy wouldn't be true. The falling away wouldn't even happen. That's if once saved, always saved were true. But since the Bible proves it is not true, you know what we do? We take that theory of once saved, always saved, and we toss it in the garbage. It's a theory of man. The biblical model is once saved, stay saved. You see? Once saved, stay saved. How do we stay saved? Well, we don't be led away with the error of the wicked. But also in verse 18, we read in verse 18, but grow. Grow. Remember, growth is a choice. The leaven of Corinth, they made their choice. Chloe and those in her home, those in her home fellowship, they made their choice as well. You see? There are inhibitors to growth. It's the flesh and the carnal nature. And to the remnant of 67 AD and to the remnant of 2023 AD, Brother Peter says, grow. In verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him, to Him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. To the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.